you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Welcome to the Move the Sticks podcast. I'm Bucky Brooks. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah is away on this one, but I'm excited to be joined by, I would say, one of my closest friends in the football world, someone who is look well accomplished in what he does, Pac-12 analyst, a, uh, should I say, award-winning, best-selling author two times, all this other stuff. Let's just bring on Yogi <laughs> Roth. Yogi, what's up, man? How you doing? Oh, man, it's fun, right? Like, you're you're coaching, you're balling. Um, I, I'm almost there. Games are almost here in college football. You know how it is. I I, I don't know if – I'd imagine it happens to you, but, like, I work out even harder in August because the body's just ready yeah. to, like, do double sessions, which I feel like athletes don't even know what those are oh, in this no, era, man. On, like, they, they, they don't even know. Um, I think for some background, like, Yogi and I got together Elite 11. Like, man, I can't even – it's been so long since I joined. I, I think it's like maybe 10, 12 years for me. You've always kind of been around the journey. You've watched these quarterbacks go up. But before we talk about that part of it, just talk about your football journey, because I think it's important for people to know about your football journey. So then you can talk about how that impacts how you see these things when you interact with young people. Yeah, it's a good question. And I love listening to you ask people questions on your show because they're super thoughtful and it gives you the, the lens in which they see the craft. And so for me, I, I grew up in a tiny town in the middle of Pennsylvania. Think Varsity Blues, 2,500 people, no stoplights. Only thing that existed was high school football. And I was the son of a refugee mom, had a weird name, brother's gay, like didn't really fit. And football was like my thing. It was the only thing I could really latch on to. So much so that I just believed, like a lot of kids in high school, that they could play at the highest level. So I walked on at Pitt, uh, got lucky, played in my second game as a freshman, and then the scholarship story kind of ensues that we see all across the country. Every every training camp or so, uh, started as a sophomore and kind of had that you know backup slot type of right wide receiver career. Um, and then Larry Fitzgerald came in and became all everything, and, and I became his understudy, which was a, was an absolute blast. And from there, I, I jumped out to L.A to join you out here in Southern California and coached at USC for four years uh, and really just learned to me so much from Coach Carroll and Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin. I like to say those guys gave me, you know, my my master's in offense and Pete gave me a PhD in philosophy and coaching and building teams and then transitioned because I didn't want to leave the beach to broadcasting. And this is, I think, year 15 or 16 for me calling games. Uh, I love calling games on the West Coast. I love celebrating the game and coaching the viewer. And as you know, with the Elite 11, uh, I just did, I think, year 16 with them of just getting to know these guys when they're 16. And sometimes I don't talk to them again until they're 36, right? Like I did in this book that I just released called Five Star QB when, when they're married or they're going through divorce or coming out of rehab or having their first kid or just retired from the NFL or, or never played in college. And to me, building those relationships is the cornerstone of me. And, and that probably goes back to being a walk-on man when so many of my teammates like Larry weren't afraid to build relationships with a guy who maybe didn't have the accolades that they did. And, and that's always been something that I hold dear to me. You know, it's funny. So we, we have parallels in, in so many different ways about your journey. So 
one as the dad of a walk-on. Uh, my son is a walk-on baseball player at San Jose State. Uh, it's really inspiring to me to hear your story because it is from afar watching it because his journey is so much different than my journey and the communication and the connectivity. And when you see guys bring them in, it is like, you know, because as a walk-on, I would imagine the one thing that you want is to be respected and to be one of the guys and then let your game kind of take you wherever it takes you. The other part of it is your relationship with Pete Carroll, because as an inspiring coach, before I got into coaching, Pete Carroll to me was like the way that you did it, the energy, the electricity, the way USC was at its height during his era was everything. What are some of the things that you learned just from being a part of that process with Pete in terms of building teams or communicating with players that has kind of helped you going forward? Oh man, there's there's so much. I, I think the first thing that came to mind is you referenced your son, and I was up at San Jose State talking to Brent Brennan, and you know, he told me Thank that your you. son was walking on there uh, in, in a different sport, but still the culture there. I think since Brent has gotten there, has taken a football team, and football teams are often siloed in a different world, and brought it together with all the sports. So, so it's a it's a real healthy place for him. And I can remember my first day as a walk on. They, I went to the equipment manager and I said, hey, where's my locker? I can't find my last name in the 80s or the single digits or even the 20s or 30s. And he goes, oh, uh, Roth, locker 106. Yeah. And I went to locker 106 with a D-lineman face mask and shoes that were two sizes too big. And that moment, I can remember saying to myself, and I, don't, I hope your son hasn't had like you know equipment that's dramatically off for his skill set. But I oh, said yeah. to myself, Yogi, from here on out, you're in a relentless pursuit of a competitive edge. And I just threw down in that moment in the year 2000 in training camp and, and just started setting goals that I felt were attainable and others didn't. And it, it really set me up for success. And I say that because when I joined Pete Carroll's staff, coach and I met when I was 19. I, I had just gotten put on scholarship and he's always had a walk-on mentality when you go back to his career at Pacific or even in coaching. Uh, massive chip on his shoulder always thinks he could probably play higher than he could. I, I was the same way. And we got along playing noon hoops. I came out to train on spring break and <laughs> we would just play. And I'm talking, he would keep me after. We'd go one-on-one -on -one and he's mid-50s at the time. Yeah. And we'd be elbowing. We, and I wouldn't back down. He wouldn't back down. And, and we became, I think, like kindred spirits in that regard. And thankfully, I, I recognized it then and, and definitely now of in my young 20s, having a guy like that mentor me but also showcase principles that lead to a championship culture, such as let's be in a relentless pursuit of a competitive edge, such as, hey, create value where you are. Don't worry about climbing the ladder of success rung by rung. But if you create value, people will, A, trust you and play you like your son, or trust you and elevate you like they do in the coaching world. And then I think finally, uh, he really laid the groundwork that he learned from Coach Wooding, Wooden of, hey, protect the team. No whining, no complaining, no excuses, and be early, which referenced being organized. And he leaned on that so much so that when he took the job with the Seahawks, I was with him. We were at the Natty that night, Alabama versus Texas. And on the sideline watching that game, I knew he was going to go take that job the next day. And I said, Pete, um, what are you going to change? And he looked me dead in the eye and said, not a thing other than the days of the week and when we practice and the schedule. But I'm going to lean on the principles I learned when I got fired from the Patriots and developed in that year off and that we used at SC. And you didn't see him skip a beat since he's been in Seattle and now they are in quote unquote a, a rebuild. And talking to him, he's so excited about that fresh palette. 
to go attack as a coach and a builder and a philosopher around the great game that we that we love so much. This is so funny because I don't know if I've ever told you this, but when I was just starting out coaching in high school, uh, I remember reading Win Forever. And I remember going to like the things, the clinics and stuff that he was doing around town because the way that he approached things really resonated with me. I played for a coach in college, Mac Brown, who had a similar approach, not quite like Pete, but it was, hey, man, we're going to have fun. I'm going to treat you with first class. Hey, we're going to take all this pressure off. It's about the players. And man, just go live it because this is going to be the best four years of your life. And so um, I look at Pete and I'm just amazed at how you look at that run that SC had and you look at how great it was. But then you look at the run that he's had in Seattle and how he just faces those challenges because everyone right now is like, oh, they're going to be terrible. But then I look at him and he's like, oh, this is where I love the coaching part of it. Like, what is it about him or just being around that that kind of leads you to believe that, oh, he'll figure it out. He'll figure it out how to make make it work with what he has. Yeah, well, I think two things. One, to go back into his life, and, and you read it in his book, Win Forever, which I'd recommend to any young coach or current coach. And I, I can remember meeting Sean McVay for the first time a couple of years ago, and he goes, don't think I didn't read the book. You know, it's all about the ball. And he started rattling off the principles from the book. And I think it's had a big impact on this next generation of coaches. But within it, he talks about being a young boy and talking to his mom after a challenging day. And she said, Pete, uh, always expect something great to happen next. And that's him on the headset. Like I was on the headset with him for four years. I've also been at many Seahawks games where he's been mic'd up and we've been with NFL films and listening to him. No matter what happened, he's always expecting something great to happen next. It could be the last 30 seconds of a game. Uh, it could be after a challenging loss. It could be after losing the Super Bowl. Like that's just how he's wired. So I think that's like super critical to know how, how buried in his DNA that is. I think regarding the present, um, I don't think he's given enough credit for the EXO coach that he is. You know, mm -hmm. He's often known as fun, uh, big shoes, big gum, throwing the football in yeah. pregame, doing things in the inner city of Los Angeles, uh, caring about things outside of just the sport of football. But he's a savant defensively. That's why I think he's a Hall of Fame coach. And I don't think it's a debate when you look at what he's done on the field and what his teams have done in terms of eliminating whether it's certain offenses at every level in college mm -hmm. and even in the NFL back when he was just a coordinator, the defenses were always unique. You know, you can go back to Arkansas when he was first with Monty Kiffin to NC State, yeah. first time having a real role as a coordinator to now doing it for as long as he's done it with the Seahawks in the NFL. Um, I think that's where he doesn't get enough play. And even on the offensive side, I mean, year one at SC, man, I think SC was six and seven. I think they lost in the Vegas Bowl. And mm -hmm. the next year, if you study them, with Norm Chow still as the OC, Pete's the one that flipped the offense. He's like, this is going to be our blueprint. I, I have a blueprint right behind me in my office of what the blueprint on offense is in his eyes. So even offensively, it's not like he's just a defensive guy. And, and when you're around the game like Mac or like Pete, you can see it all very clearly. So I, I think that's not given enough credit. And, and his teams, I talked to a member of his staff the other night, uh, John Glenn, their, their linebacker coach, who I think is a future DC in the NFL. Um, he's like, dude, we're going to, we're going to be in every game, you know, like, and, and I think oh, that, yeah. that's going to be them. Yeah, that's going to be them. I think that's where he's very comfortable. Like when you run the football, play great defense, you talk about taking care of the ball and doing those things. Also, we won't expand on this, but because he's so great on defense, it allows you to be great on offense because you know how it goes. That's why when people talk about Bill Belichick and how he'll mess up the Patriots thing, I'm like, don't worry about that. If you know defense, you know offense, you'll be able to do it. 
But I want to take it because at SC, you got a chance to really learn a lot about quarterback play. And that has certainly helped you being around the Elite 11 crowd. What are some of the things that you think are essential uh, that young quarterbacks, great quarterbacks must have? Yeah, well, it's changed so much and it hasn't changed at all, I think, in the same sentence. I think the number one thing outside of being able to throw, right? Like a lot of guys are pastors now. We see it in the Elite 11. The, the amount of pastors in high school football is through the roof. Mm -hmm. Not just guys playing the catch, but playing quarterback. Like it's really elevated you know, all the way down to like fifth and sixth grade in my eyes. But the other side of that is I think you really still have to love it. Like I mm -hmm. think you got to love it. I, I talk to freshmen about that every single year, man, of like, do you love it? Same thing with Elite 11. Do you love it? And most guys in high school, when they get to the point where we see him every summer, man, and you know this, that flame is a little extinguished because mm -hmm. they go from loving the craft to all of a sudden having 40 offers, all of a sudden having people in their DMs and now with NIL having a lot of scrutiny thrown their way mm -hmm. uh, or a lot of attention thrown their way. And they, none of them, in my opinion, none of them have the tools to deal with it like an NFL player because right. they're 16. They shouldn't have the tools. Their brains aren't even fully developed yet at that stage. So to me, it's it's tapping back into what I call the wonder switch, like your wonderment and imagination. You have to be able to lock back into that. And if you don't, if it's just a means to an end or if just a transactional relationship because of what NIL is now, I think players are really going to struggle because once the joy is sucked out, especially now with the pseudo-professionalization of college football, I think, happening before our eyes, it's going to be a tough journey because it's not like the NFL is drafting more quarterbacks now than ever before. You, you still have to play at a high level. So if you're not enjoying it, even if you are a middle-of-the-road college player, you're in trouble. So, so that is one. Like, do you love the, the craft? Like, can you find and refine your wonderment around the, around the sport and the, and the position you play? Two is you have to be a seeker. Like you have to be a seeker of all things quarterback, right? And that to me doesn't mean your life has to be owned by football, but you have to be mm -hmm. seeking knowledge and seeking answers. And it's all in front of you, whether it's Tom versus time or the Brady documentary or uh, Michael Gervais podcast or this podcast, mm -hmm. like there's so much Intel out there. If you're not willing to go seek some of it, you think your 45 minute position meeting is going to be enough. You got no chance. Like you'll survive. Maybe you'll be athletic enough. But at the end of the day, you won't have the tools to really thrive when you get to the level that you cover. So I think those are the two things. Uh, and then finally, which is why I wrote the book, Five Star QB, was like, do you have the tools and the team and the wherewithal to manage what's coming down the pipe? And most people don't because you can't Google how to be the parent of a walk-on baseball player like yourself or the parent of a five-star recruit or to be that individual in and of itself. So you need you need some tools. And that's why we wrote the book of like, 40, 60, 100 people pour into this book to give advice along the journey of how do I manage a visit? How do I manage NIL? How do I manage committing, decommitting, flipping, uh, transferring, my parents, social media, uh, women on campus, mental health? There's so much that's hard that I think we need to front load some of those skills. So, so those are the three things that I often tell the parents of 10-year-olds or the parents of 20-year-olds. You go into your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring your day immediately gets better that crisp fresh unmistakable irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses so when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want 
you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah, like check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, you know, hey, <laughs> hey, stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have know to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, but I mean, like like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but... All right, so what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. Though. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, it's funny because you mentioned the book. So now I want to talk about the book, Five Star QB. It's not about the stars. It's about the journey. Uh, what inspired you to write the book? Like what what was the thing that said, hey, I got to put this on pen and pad. I need to make sure that I can help the next generation of quarterbacks do it better than maybe the previous generation did it. Well, you were with us, man. I mean, we were in Cowboys facility in Frisco, Texas, and that year's camp ended. And it was Bryce Young. It was C.J. Stroud. It was really a lot of elite oh, players. C.J. Yeah. yeah, you love him, and we all we all do, right? It was it was just an awesome year for that position. Uh, and Joey Roberts, who we both love and know, we sat down at the restaurant uh, in the in the hotel that's attached to the facility, and we just said to each other, "Man, like we keep getting asked the same questions by parents and players. Like we got to do something." And we said, "Let's let's create a pseudo tribe of mentors for all the parents and players going through this. What if we asked?" you know, a handful of these quarterbacks, the same 20 plus questions and curated in a way where it can be digestible. So we did it. We hit up 54 different quarterbacks that adorned the five-star ranking. And we asked them the same 22 questions and they gave fascinating answers from first day they were offered to the advice they'd give their younger self. So I'm talking people from, um, we can go all the way back to Ryan Paraloo, Mark Sanchez, all the way yeah. up to uh, Bo Nix, Caleb Williams. And Josh Rosen and so, so many guys in between. I'm looking at the cover and it's Matt Barkley, Shea Patterson, Will Greer, Tyler Palco, Tyrone Swoops, uh, Christian Hackenberg, guys that started and thrived. Some guys like Shane Morris who never played and transferred. Some guys like Malik Zaire who had to transfer multiple times. And we just said, give us, give us your feedback. Help the next generation. Bro, they all came to the plate and delivered. Yeah. And as we got their answers, I said, dude, we're not done yet. We need more advice. So we hit up 40 people and said, be an ambassador of the game. And what would you tell a five-star player or their parents? Pete Carroll, John Schneider, Chip Kelly, David Shaw, Lincoln Riley, Dan Lanning, Jed Fish, Ryan Day, um, your colleague DJ, um, Brenda Tracy, the Holinsky family. So many people from young coaches like Gerard Johnson with the Vikings, who's coaching quarterbacks, mm-hmm. to guys like Pete, who've been there forever. And we said, we want to pour in to the experience. So, like, this is it. It's it's almost 600 pages. It is a yeah. thick mug. But 
um, we went for it. And, and what's been really cool, man, is, is three things. The first one is that the cover, as I'm showing you, it's, it's the faces yeah. of the players. And I yeah. did it on purpose because so often when a player commits to your school, whether it's Carolina like you or whether it's Pitt like me, we go to huddle, we go to 24-7 mm -hmm. and see their ranking, we go to their social. We don't even know what they look like half the time. We don't see the heartbeat right. of these young men. And if they don't play, we light them up and call them a bus. I mean, mm -hmm. Bo Nix talks about it in the book of on his visit, they're chanting his name at Auburn. And then a couple years later, the student section is chanting his name but booing him off the field. Like, yeah. think of that paradox for somebody going through that. So it, it was really important for us to humanize the players for themselves so they got to share their story for parents who think every one of their kids is the next Caleb Williams or mm -hmm. CJ Stroud or Bryce Young. And then also um, for, for the Vans to say like, whoa, like I didn't know that Josh Rosen joined a fraternity because he just wanted to make friends as a mid-year enrollee. He didn't want to go party. He just wanted to meet some guys because he was 17 when he got on campus. It, yeah. Those things I think are important. And, and every time I see players get lit up on social, like Josh, for instance, last week, he can't play. He's terrible. I'm like, dude, you don't even know this guy. Like you have no clue about his path, yeah. but you can learn now by at least reading a portion of our book. And, and that was, it was driven by giving advice and giving players a platform to share their path. You know, it's funny, Yogi, because like uh, in the seat where I sit right now, where we're having to break down and, and, analyze these prospects and, and do all these things like sometimes it's that fine line right because you begin to know them personally you begin to see them along the way on the journey we catch them almost on not quite on the front end but right as they're beginning to kind of figure it out maybe before they get celebrity and stardom or whatever in the case of cj stroud cj stroud was still under the radar prior to that 11 finals and then he explodes because he had one of the best camps that i've ever seen and been a part of um and i think what a lot of people don't know is just how hard it is, not to manage the playing part, but to manage being a rising star in this social media era where you and I get the confessions of like, coach, how do I deal with like on Twitter, they'll light me up because I threw two interceptions in the opening finals game and hey, I'm gonna lose my followers or I'm gonna lose all this other stuff. Talk about some of the anxieties that these kids bring that people may not know about that they're dealing with, even though they're five-star quarterbacks. Dude, it's amazing. And what a thoughtful question. Uh, I go back to Shane Morris, and he's in the book. Shane Morris, Michigan. Yeah, Sugar Shane, him. yeah. Sugar Shane. And you were there that year, right? So Shane Morris, we call a basic drive concept where you're never supposed to throw the goal ball, right? It's just like a clear route. And I remember this day like yesterday. He launches a goal ball. It gets caught. It's a touchdown. The crowd goes wild. The writers go wild. And Shane Morris is the poster child of that practice. I think it was day two at Elite 11 that mm -hmm. year in the finals. We go watch the film and we're like, hey, bro, like you're that's a negative grade. Never you're supposed to go there. You're not even supposed to look there. Um, and you're not in the initial 11. And his first response was, I get it. I was wrong. But how am I going to deal with the fan base online? Like now, Shane Morris, to, to give people some context, his avatar was he and Aaron Andrews at a Michigan mm -hmm. basketball game in the student section where they were chanting his name as well. He was mm -hmm. the first true, in my eyes, social media quarterback. Absolutely. And when he wasn't in the initial 11, he went in the tank. He anxiety, and he talks a lot about a lot about it in the book. And a lot of these guys do. We're not having to deal with that. So the answers that we give in the book, there, there's a beautiful chapter from Dr. Michael Gervais around identity. But I love the first the first page is a letter from Chip Kelly, and Chip Kelly's quote, which I love. I didn't know Chip would be the the, the writer 
that he that he is. I, I called him afterwards and I was like, I didn't know you were an English major because it's beautiful. And his quote was, praise and blame are all the same. So I hit him up. I said, let's let's break that down. And he started take, taking me through it. And if you think about it, it could be your son, it could be CJ, it could be Shane, it could be anybody of like, if we tell you how great you are, or your mentions love you up and how special you are, of course it feels great. But what does it do to your performance, truly? What should it do to your performance? And contrary, if we're in your DMs telling you how bad you are, or at the aggressive level, which is like, hey, you should kill yourself, which we see that every year. Oh, and I know that's so inappropriate, it but, so it, but it's appropriate, yeah. right? Like, regardless, they're all the same. And I think for athletes, we're, and you're part of this, we try to give them the tools to be able to manage it, right? Jaden Rashad is going to Miami, reportedly $9 million in NIL, which I don't think is accurate. But regardless, that's the narrative. And the tools that he's going to use to manage that cannot be, I'm going to turn off my phone. There has to be something deeper. But I think all 16-year-olds know is turn off my phone, shut it out, block out the quote-unquote noise. I don't think that works anymore. I think you got to have to find tools to manage the noise. And that's why I love when players front load psychology, front load mm -hmm. mental health. And I, I urge not only pro coaches, but I tell every college coach on a visit, please do not present NIL depth chart and scheme in that order. Please present. This is a place where you can talk about what's going on in your life. Right down the hall, we've got five mental health experts that are here for you because in year one or year three, whether you're playing or you're on the bench, you're probably going to need it. And I want you to know it's safe so you don't have to go off campus. You don't have to, God forbid, do anything even more serious. And, and I and I take it that far, man, because I think it's really important to go there for fans mm -hmm. listening to just hit pause before you hit send on. You miss the kick. You miss the throw. You should kill yourself because that happens every year. We see it every season. It's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me just relax a little bit. Be passionate. Have an opinion. We love that part of it. But let's not take it to a degree that we've seen become reality in college athletics, especially in college with multiple athletes. Just look at the, the mm -hmm. summer. We saw almost a dozen athletes kill themselves for yeah. a bunch of different reasons. But I have to imagine the pressure associated with being a student athlete and the hype to live up to is a part of that discussion. And the Holinskis write a beautiful letter in here offering advice and some tools in that regard. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but yeah, I coached Tyler in high school and his yeah. older brother, Kelly, and um, those guys being around. And really, it's unfortunate um, the way things transpired for him. But I think a lot of these guys, in terms of dealing with the pressure that goes along with it, and I think in a way, <clears throat> we do quarterbacks a disservice because I see it even happening at the youth football levels where we begin to separate them. It's the quarterback, then it's the other 10. And I think what happens is young people get a, a, a warped sense of how competitive life is when we begin to separate those things. And so we have to begin to equip young people with the tools to deal with adversity, competition, successes and failures, being able to stand up in each of those moments without it necessarily wrecking your confidence or really overinflating your ego. But I think it's a skill. And I'm so happy that you and Dr. Gervais and everyone is on it because I'm a huge advocate for early on in the process, um, finding a sports psychologist, finding people that can help you manage those situations. Because look, everyone, when they get to a certain level, is talented, but it's how do you manage all of the other stuff? And what tools do you have in the toolbox to allow the best version of yourself to, 
come out not only on the field but also off the field yeah man it's, it's just gonna be fascinating to watch now too because look in college football all these guys are getting so much pressure to play early you know whether it's Cade Klubnik versus yeah. DJ Clemson or Quinn Ewers mm -hmm. at Texas mm -hmm. and I just I just don't think I'd be curious what you think I, I don't think that there's like a Trevor Lawrence every year or Tua mm -hmm. or Jalen Hurts, like three guys that came in as freshmen and, and thrived their freshman year. I, I think it's still the most developmental position in the world. And now as we're seeing starters get announced, I'm seeing fan bases say, well, yeah, this guy's going to transfer. I, I've heard analysts in college football say, yeah. well, if I was him, I'd, I'd leave now. And I'm just like, and I'm not trying to be like the get off my lawn, old guy of let guys compete through adversity if you're a backup. But, but I think that, A, there's something to that. And then I still think that we are neglecting the development that's necessary mm -hmm. at the position. I, I don't know. What, what do you think? Because you see it in the NFL, too, with rookies getting thrust into the action. Well, I, 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 look, I, I think that is a big part of it. Um, and it's funny because I get this from Jeff Munkin. Jeff Munkin, the head coach at Army, talks about if you want a tough team, you got to do tough stuff. And so if you want a quarterback who um, – can handle some of the things that you have to deal with at the highest levels. You have to compete. My dad, as a kid, had a saying that you can't be made of steel until you try by fire. And so you have to make your kids hang in there at times when it doesn't go their way. And they have to learn how to climb out of those holes to get back on top. Because if they can make it out of there, it not only equips them with the tools to be successful on the field, but now when they decide that, hey, I'm done with football, I want to go and be a broadcaster, but I'm going to start at the bottom and I'm going to do whatever I can to get up. Well, now the experiences that you learn from football can help you handle the adversity as you're trying to make your way. So, yeah, we have to teach young people how to hang in there in battle and how to take those failures, but use the lessons learned from those failures to eventually lead to successes down the line. Yeah, that's why I think I'm so excited for this year in college football, too, because I think guys like Caleb Williams, Bryce Young, yeah. and C.J. Stroud, they're going to become the blueprint in terms of how to manage all the things that come your way. Like, I, I think there's there, there's one world where like, oh, my God, they have all this money and NIL and blah, blah, blah. But really watch how they operate, you know, how they've assembled a team around them to help them manage and cope with what it's like to be in college. You know, I love the book because Bryce's father, Craig, and Kimberly, yeah. CJ's mom, are in the book, along with Lisa McCaffrey, giving advice to parents. Lisa, of course, the mom to Christian and yeah. many other sons that have played major college football and even in the NFL, married to Ed, who played, I think, a decade plus with the Broncos. Um, I, I just say that because right now in college, there's no veteran on a team, right? Like, let's just say I make a million dollars and I'm on a roster and I'm you know, whatever, elite player X. There's, there's, Bucky Brooks isn't in the locker room to show me the yeah. way. Like when Jared Goff got to the Rams, like Andrew Whitworth was there. You know, like there's some vets to help you. That doesn't happen in college. And that's why I think like looking and giving some attention to the guys that seemingly are doing a nice job of still having like, they, like I started the wonderment around the craft and also have the mm -hmm. business side and have a team to be able to manage it and know when to shut it off and know what real money is because that's when you get to the NFL versus you know, a small NIL deal or even a strong NIL deal. It's going to be dwarfed by a signing bonus per se. And I, and I love how these guys have approached it because I really believe, and I'm calling SE's opener next week on the Pac-12 Networks. I just feel like these guys have, have shown a way to keep the main thing the main thing, not lose a love for the craft, 
and be able to balance the hectic world that is now high school, college, and then eventually where you live in the NFL. All right. So my final question, I'm going to ask you to do something that no parent ever wants to do. Oh boy. But I, because Elite 11 is kind of like full of your babies, I'm going to ask you heading into this season, who is the quarterback that you're most excited to look at? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, uh-huh. See, it's a parental question. Yeah. Pick your yeah. favorite kid. Yeah, they were kids. Well, I mean, it's easy to say Caleb Williams because he hasn't started a full season, right? And I've been over at SC a bunch. I just did a long sit down with him. And as I was doing the sit down, I was reminded that he's still 19. You know, like he's still a young man and developing. And, there, and there's something to that in college football that I think is important to remember. I'm just so intrigued. It's the most unique roster in the history of college football. And I'd say the same thing about Bo Nix going to Oregon, you know, the guy who is a legacy at Auburn, mm-hmm. went to Oregon sight unseen. And I remember texting with him and he's like, yeah, I just got to campus. I'm enrolled and it's really nice here. It's the first time he saw it. And then I think a guy a sleeper is Cameron Ward. Cameron Ward is, is the guy that your son should learn about a lot because he was a guy that nobody recruited out of the state of Texas, went to Incarnate Ward, broke every record he could, yeah. won the Heisman at that level. And other than Caleb was the most sought after recruit at quarterback in the transfer portal followed his head coach at the time, Eric Morris, who's now the OC at Washington State, uh, to Pullman. And I think he's going to thrive, dude. I think this dude's going to ball. I think he's going to be one of the funnest guys to watch. So I keep it out west. Uh, those three guys, and, and even Tanner McKee. And I just did a feature on Tanner that'll come out in a week or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy had cancer at 16 and nobody knows about. His sister, um, she's gone through a lot health-wise. Like This guy's met adversity and always found optimism as a teenager. And he carried that onto a mission in Brazil. And I think he's going to be uh, the third quarterback, arguably, taken in next year's draft behind the two guys that we talk about all the time and CJ and Bryce. I think Tanner, if he decides to leave, uh, is, is going to have an awesome season with an incredible cast of characters throw the ball to. Uh, and I'm excited for him and David Shaw. So, yeah, I mean, it's biased to keep it out west, but, but I am pumped for those, those four quarterbacks. Well, I'm pumped, man. I'm pumped to hear you back on the call. Uh, I can't wait to hear you on that SC call in a week or so. It should be a lot of fun. I'm really excited about your book and all the stuff. And more importantly, man, I'm really appreciative of who you are as a person and what you not only do with the young people, with people in general. Um, I think people need to make sure they tune in, follow Yogi on Instagram, do all the stuff, because uh, I think as a parent, we all aspire to have kids that are more than just one dimensional beings. And I can say being around you, man, you're so multidimensional that I'm always envious of the things that you partake in. And I look forward to hearing about your adventures going forward. Thanks, bro. I'm definitely going to need you on some father advice, though. I got a seven and a two year old. So uh, I wrote down the quote, the, the metal and the fire. hundred <laughs> percent. Well, that's cool, man. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We're going to have to have you back in the future. Talk some more about quarterbacks and all things football. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's it for the Mood Six podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you guys next time. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. 
So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.